Hello, everyone, and welcome to the RC Plane Lab podcast. I'm Ron. I'm Tom. So I'm a little bit scratchy um, yeah. just now. Actually yeah. started running nose and stuff in so the last, like, we hour. we went to the field. We did. We, we did some flying. Well, I did some flying, and you did some watching. I watched a lot because it was windy. Windy? <laughs> I watched a lot because it was windy. Oh, this is going to be a long night. <laughs> it was windy, and I forgot to put my contacts in. Yeah. So I was blind. It was a little windy. And bright. But anyway, mm -hmm. you were fine at the field. I was. No sniffles, no congestion. No. And then you get home. And it's like I'm allergic sudden, to my house. Now you sound weird. I sound terrible. Yeah. But we'll get through it. We'll make it. We'll make somehow. It we'll get through somehow. The field was interesting, though. How so? The dirt devil? Oh, yeah. I have never seen one of that those was, before. That was wild. That was so odd. So we were, there was a friend of ours who was getting ready to take off. And he's like, oh, look out in the corn. I think I better wait. And you could just no see. No kidding. Like, I would say hundreds of these uh, leaves of corn, mm, yeah. whatever you call the little corn leaf things that, that's drying out, you yeah, know, yeah. so they're light now. Yeah. But they were just getting sucked up into the air and getting spun around. And then it was coming and you could actually see in the grass, which is short grass, you know, on, yeah. the, on the runway, but you could see it just circling Swirling. around. Yeah. And then it hit, it like went, actually it went within like, I'd say 20 feet of his airplane, mm -hmm. which was kind of lucky, mm -hmm. but it hit water. There was puddles out there because it yeah. rained yeah. and it sucked that water up probably a good five feet into the yeah. air. And it was... And the sound it made. It was, yeah, it was... It was wild. I've never seen anything. It was like a invisible tornado. Uh, kind of. Yeah. I mean, I guess all I mean, tornadoes think, would be invisible until it sucks stuff up, right? Well, true. That's true. A small that's a fair, tornado. That's a fair statement. But yeah, I think they call them dust devils. Yeah. And but then it yeah, went I've into the bean field one. and it was doing yeah. the same thing. Picking I mean, stuff I've seen up dust devils before, but I've never seen one actually pick up water. Yeah. Like. I know. It was, was wild. It was yeah, impressive. It was pretty, Glad pretty nobody flew through it. Well, yeah. actually, maybe I don't know. Oh, that would have been kind of cool. Just kind of see what it did. Just to see what it did. Then you could really kind of. But kinda, that was it. Like once yeah. it was by, it was like, you know, like it never happened. Back to normal. really, really. Yeah. Neat. It was just that windy though. But yeah, it was that was weird, interesting. It was, was a weird wind that kept changing. Yeah, I didn't care for like, that too much. But it went from straight down the runway to straight cross the runway. It did and back. I mean, like the whole day, it was just it did very moving back and yeah. forth on that. So yeah, but the stick didn't seem to mind too much. Well, no, it, it's pretty <laughs> pretty fast and cuts through the air pretty well. Yeah, but it's just the, a good flying airplane. That little what was that an Eindecker? Oh yeah. The, the it, other guy yeah, was flying. Did, yeah. That was a beautiful airplane. But that oh, one, very pretty. you could not it get is. that. It still is. It is. Yeah. Did I say was? You did. Well, I, I don't see it now. Right. So in, okay. in past, it was beautiful. Still is beautiful. But anyway, he could not get it to go down the, the runway straight. straight. He was yeah. crabbing the whole time yeah. just because the wind was so he, great. I heard him on one of the flights. He said that whole flight, throttle and rudder is all he used. Yeah. No elevator, no aileron. It was all... Well, I mean, it's an old, you know, yeah. Eindecker, so that's... Well, you say Balsa USA kit mm -hmm. from yeah. way back when? Yeah, I think anyway. he said it had a, a Zenoa G23 on it, I think is what he said. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. It, yeah, it would not fly in a straight line. Yeah. <laughs> well... It just... Pointing well, the guess same direction Straight line into the wind, right. but yeah, for ground it wasn't straight, yeah. but anyway. But uh, yeah, no, good day at the field. We got to... Got to do some, well, I got to do some flying. And I got to do some, some watching. watching. And that's okay. I don't mind. Yeah, like, you don't mind. I, it seems like you don't mind. Being around airplanes and just watching somebody else deal with them, too, is okay. Yeah. Not a lot of electrics out there, so watching you guys trying to figure out why your planes won't start, yeah. why they won't keep running. Yeah. Our two good know? friends were out there. Uh, Bob and Reggie were both there flying. Uh -huh. Reggie showed up, you know, late. Like normal. Her. 
later. Um, but uh, yeah, they they were out there. Bob flew the big uh, 50cc Yak, which I love that airplane. Yeah, and it was good to see Reggie get a little bit more comfortable with his S-Bach. Yeah, yeah. He's finally getting very, the hang very of good it. Very, very good landings. So. Yeah, I think he just, you know, practice, practice, you know, makes perfect. Mm-hmm. So anyway. Shall good we move on, to, move on uh, to listener, listener questions. questions? We have a lot of listener questions to get to today. Yeah, I just, I'll just preface this by saying if uh, if you've sent us questions, you know, either through the email or, or the various other forms, you can get a hold of us. Um, and it's, it's taking us a while to get back to you. I apologize. Uh, but it is summer, and that's why we're doing every other week is because we have all this other stuff going on. So yeah. we apologize. We try to answer everyone's question that you know, that we get. Um, and if it takes us a little longer, I apologize, but we will get to you. I promise. Yes. So anyway, there you go. Good call. So if some of these questions are a little older and you've already moved on, we apologize, but hopefully some other listeners may benefit from, you know, our input. There you go. Right on. So you want to start? You want me to start? Uh, yeah, I'll start. Uh, we'll start with, uh, this one, uh, Ralph Long. Hope uh, hope it's okay. Use the whole name there. It uh, that's how he sent it to us. So yeah, didn't say not to. Yep. We he have says, some. We do have some in here that said don't use my full name. Right. And some texted in and didn't give us a name. So yep. guess so, what? We can't give your name. We're not going to give your phone number. But we can't never. give out the name. So uh, anyway, Ralph uh, Long says, how about a podcast episode about transmitters and receivers? Types, brands, uh, which ones are compatible agro- across different brands? How many channels are needed? Binding, 2.4 gigahertz uh, versus 72 megahertz, etc. So yeah, there's well, the, we kind of did. Yeah, back in uh, one of our earlier episodes, it was uh, much five earlier. or six or yeah, it was one yeah. of the one of the beginning ones. Yeah, we we, um, we covered we covered the topic. Uh, but maybe, you know, maybe it's time for us to kind of go back and look at some of our older episodes and see if they're worth a revisit. Oh, that's true. Things change. They do. And it's been a year, two year and a, whatever. Been it's a been a while. And a half. Oh, it's a long time. Been over a year and a half, actually. April. No, we started April, I think. So April of last year. Yeah. So April it's, to September. May, June, July, August. Okay, about a year and a half. Yeah. So no, that's year and five months. A year and a well, half. Okay, would be, so it's almost a year and a half. We're getting there. Yeah. Anyway, but off the rails. Yeah, <laughs> off the rails again. Uh, but anyway, yeah. In uh, in one of our earlier episodes, we we covered that. But uh, certainly, we can uh, we can uh, go over uh, this question. Uh, several questions, actually. Yeah. Let's let's touch on a couple of things he said. So yeah. compatibility. There really is not. Compatibility across major brands, right? Yeah, Futaba. Yeah, Futaba is not compatible with Spectrum, which is not compatible with Airtronics, which is not compatible with insert large brand name here. But generally speaking, yeah, we use Spectrum. Yeah, That's we fly just with Spectrum. What we've landed on. I mean, it's not. It's not uh, because there was no real reason. I think that I chose Spectrum other than that's what was at the hobby shop, really. I <laughs> well, mean, here's the reason I, I know exactly why I fly with Spectrum. <laughs> okay. Uh, because my very first Spectrum radio, I got a really smoking hot deal on it to, well, to make the conversion okay. from 72 megahertz to 2.4. It, it would just happen to be a Spectrum radio that I got a really, really good deal on. And, and I just haven't really. Um, Gotten off of them. Yeah. You know? And I guess that if, if you look at it that way, the first airplane I bought came with the DX4. That's right. And even though I hated it because <laughs> right. it was, it, basic. you know, it just, well, not just basic. It didn't have the range. Um, but right. I, yeah, I stuck with DX5, moved on to a six, and then I still fly with an eight, which is old. But hey, I still have one too. But you don't use it. 
it's it's ready anytime I need it. <laughs> okay, fine. But I have not upgraded yet. But, and honestly, though, if I were to buy another one, it would probably be a Spectrum again. Just because that's what we're familiar with. Yeah. You know, we're familiar with the programming and the little quirks you have to do with, you know, programming the transmitter like I, you had to help me today with mine. Turning your flaps on. Turn it, yeah. Or getting them set right. Yeah. Right. So, uh but anyway, yeah, across the major brands, there's there's virtually no compatibility. Now there's aftermarket stuff. Well, I was going to say, yeah. So for <clears throat> receivers, um, I've used, um, much to your chagrin, the <laughs> yes. Orange RX, the yeah. Orange receivers, mm-hmm. and the Lemon receivers. Yeah. Um, once again, they've worked fine for me. Yeah. They're compatible fully mm-hmm. with Spectrum, but... Well, and that's how they're marketed. Yeah. Right. I mean, they're marketed to be... Spectrum to be a, a a cheaper alternative that right. works on the same frequencies right. and stuff, um, and like I said, it works fine. The ones yeah. I use them on work fine. Yeah, don't use them I in expensive airplanes. I don't know, like I don't know that much about Futaba. Um, I mean, I've flown with Futaba radios in the past, you know, before seventy two. Yeah, um, but uh, I don't know if there might be a orange or a lemon, com- you know, right? Yeah comparable like a, something for Futaba. There may be. Yeah. I, don't, I don't know if there is or not. But Yeah, I wouldn't know. I've not uh, really dealt with much on that either. But yeah, as far as compatibility compatibility goes, um, you pretty much need to s- stick with whatever brand uh, you land on. Like if you're going to fly with Futaba, you probably ought to stick with Futaba. If you're going to fly with Spectrum, stick with Spectrum branded stuff. Unless we're talking about servos or batteries. Yeah. You know, but, but as far as the transmitter and receiver are concerned, the two should match. Now I know there are some, and I, I, I this is going to get confusing because I don't know exactly what I'm talking about. <laughs> but I know there are some other like open transmitter, open TX things yeah. that yeah. you can get modules for. Yeah, and that stuff to really, make them work. It's really interesting to me. It is kind of to me too, and I wouldn't mind trying that sometime because it's almost like. I imagine it like jailbreaking a phone. Like if you're familiar with that term, maybe they don't use that term anymore, but it like opens up the the possibilities to the programming that is actually in the transmitter. Yeah. Kind of unlocks all that potential and you can do some kind of cool things with it. But you got to know what you're doing. You do absolutely have to know what you're doing. Or else you can very easily mess yeah. it up. So, um, But that stuff is interesting. Yeah. Uh, Maybe we'll have to get something sometime and, I don't know. Tinker with it. Figure it out. I'd be okay with that. Um, we, we, so we did give away the fly sky. What was that? An FS? FS I6. I6 mm-hmm. a couple months ago. And that honestly, that's the only other, like, would you consider that hobby grade? It, yes. Okay. I, I mean, I, I, would I would too. Even though maybe feel. Well, okay. But I'm, I'm talking about like actual, it, like what you buy and how. Oh yeah. Okay. It, it was, it would definitely outperform anything you would buy off of a toy toy store shelf. Okay, so then that Absolutely. would be the only other hobby grade type that I have actually messed with okay. that's newer. Yeah. Like I I've, I've touched and played with some of your old uh 72 megahertz ones whatever mm-hmm. you had before just kind of messing around with them to see what they felt like. Right. But so this Fly Sky one <clears throat> I don't want to sound bad, but <laughs> it it felt cheap to me. It felt light and it didn't feel quality made. There's yeah, there there's a difference. Like if you if you pick up and you know um, hold a new Spectrum, let's say an NX8, the new one, uh, it has a feel. It feels solid. Uh, yeah, it, it's hard um, to describe. And and the the Fly Sky radio didn't have that. Yeah, and it was physically a little bit smaller. 
right. uh, transmitter yeah. than we're used to holding. But Which, still, it would definitely. I mean, I I would have no problems putting that radio in any of my airplanes and flying with it. Would you consider that like an end goal type radio? Would you be okay the flying fly with? Sky? Yeah. Would you be okay flying with? And maybe something a little bit more advanced. But would you be okay flying with something like that with that feel as your main radio forever? Or would that be like you know, a stepping stone? If that's how you're introduced to the hobby, I mean, what would you compare it to? You know what I mean? Like if you've if yeah. you've only ever held that transmitter or that brand or, or that style of transmitter, that's what you're comfortable with because that's what you started with. So, yeah, probably. I mean, I would say that's probably for some folks would be p- plenty good for an end goal, you know, this is my forever brand or transmitter or what have you. Okay. You, yeah, you know I, what I understand saying? what you're saying. Yeah. Now, now granted, if somebody was flying with that and then I handed them, you know, my IX-12 and they're like, oh. Oh, this is what you maybe, mean. you know, maybe, yeah. you know, they would maybe change their goal. But no, I think uh, I think somebody who gets introduced to the hobby with that transmitter, that would, would, would serve them your well. Whole, yeah. Your whole hobby life if you yeah, don't maybe. feel like getting anything else. Yeah, I think so. Okay. And um, it was certain, certainly capable enough, you know, I yeah. thought. So. Features were there, but yeah. Yeah. quality perhaps or build it, quality. To, it, I know. It's hard it, to put a finger on what the difference is, but it's just it's just the way it feels in your hands. It's kind of like the difference between cars, like with car doors. You know, sometimes when you close a car door, it just sounds like a quality car door that just has a nice thud. Yes. As opposed to sometimes you close other car doors that are different brands that might not be as nice. Right. And it just sounds like, oh, it's about to fall apart. I mean, does that? <laughs> no, you're right. Okay. Yep. I, you can't like it. You can't like put a a name with it. You just like, feel yeah. It. It's like there's no quantifiable thing that you right. can say. Okay, well, this is what I mean. But if you know what I mean, you know what I mean. And yep. if you don't know what I mean, I can't necessarily explain it to you. Right. Right. Okay. That sounded weird, but no, no. I, 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 I yeah. That's a very good analogy. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, uh, but as far as what Ralph asked about how many channels, um, I'm, you know me, and 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 if you listen back to, I think it was episode six, whatever episode that was when we talked about transfers, I was a huge proponent of buy as many channels as you can afford, because I mean. You don't want to run out of channels because then what yeah. do you have to do? Buy another. Go buy another radio or then limit yourself to this particular type of airplane or whatever. Well, and honestly, like the DX8 I have is eight channel and I could use more than that on a few planes. Yeah. I've had to have workarounds and stuff. So. Right. Now there's, yeah, there's, there's ways that you can sometimes work around a lack there of There are workarounds, but it doesn't but mean that's the best ideal, right? way of doing things. Right. Sometimes you have to use an extra channel to mix with one of your existing channels. Yeah. And then now you're down a channel. Like for instance, let's say you want to use separate aileron servos. Well, on a on a radio, <clears throat> excuse me, on a radio that's uh, or on a, on a receiver, let's say, that's not set up to do that or a radio even that's not set up to do that, you know, you have to plug that extra servo into another channel on your receiver and now you've you're taking I, up your gear channel or your you aux one channel yeah, exactly. and then that takes you up to 6. Right. So, so no, yeah, I buy get as many channels as you can afford. No matter what radio you've decided to to move forward with, get as many channels as your budget will allow. However, if you're going inexpensive to get into the hobby and you want to find cheap, I would not go under six. Agree. Okay, I agree with that because a lot of today's uh, today, even some of today's beginner airplanes have, you know, separate aileron 
uh, servos. So, you know, there's five channels right there. Oh, basically. yeah. I mean, it's amazing how quickly yeah. they disappear. So, yeah, I, I agree. And I'm not sure that there are there very many four channel radios left, actually. Oh, I don't know. I haven't looked. I haven't but, either. Uh, I don't even know it's available anymore. Yeah. But I'm guessing as things progress, there's going to be a lot less availability yeah. of the, the, so, the four channel ones. So six channels at a minimum, Ralph, is what uh, what we recommend. And and I'll even go beyond that and say, buy as many as your as your budget will allow. So Okay, so devil's advocate, mm-hmm. would you buy a cheaper radio, like an off-brand radio with more channels? Or would you go with a name brand radio with slightly less channels? So all things being equal, let's say you let's say we're talking hundred bucks. So hundred dollars will buy you a cheap radio with eight channels, or hundred bucks will buy you a quality radio with six channels. That's what you're asking. So let's say three hundred bucks if that's what we're talking. Well, about. but I'm just trying to <laughs> nice round number. Okay, but, sure. Um, my my personal opinion, it depends. <laughs> it, well, it depends on what you want to get out of the hobby. Okay. Like if it's something you're you're planning on, you know, I'm going to jump in. I, I've got my these friends of mine that are, have been doing for years and I've always wanted to. I want to jump in this and, and go, you know, many, many years in the hobby. I would say spend the money on the more quality components that, you know, that you can, you know, kind of take with you. Yeah. If you're wanting to get into the hobby, just to sort of dip your toes in and for as you know as little as you can, get as much bang for your buck. Get the one with more channels. That's that's how I would do it. And you know something else I just thought of too: um, model memory. Yeah. So like my DX8 will hold 30 models. Mm-hmm. Sounds like a lot, but it's not. <laughs> I mean, like 30 is not as much as you would think it. It actually is. I mean, so I. C- <laughs> I'm old. <laughs> I come from a time where we didn't have any model memory. So yeah. we either were swapping radios or we had a, no kidding, a radio for each airplane. Uh, so to me, model memory is not that big a deal. Really? To me personally, yeah. Because, I mean, okay, let's use the DX-8. 30, 30 airplanes. Well, do I do I keep 30 airplanes really ready to fly at a moment's notice? No, I don't. I have about uh, okay. I have on. about eight to twelve, maybe. But the, here's the thing, though, and I, uh, I understand you don't keep them ready. But once that programming is done, once that setup has been taken care well, of, and I don't want to have to go through and recenter everything and well, redo everything again. Whatever you're not using, you just put on the on the SD card. I know that's a pain, and that's ninety nine more, correct? I don't know. Yeah, I don't know what sure number that 99. gets to. Uh, but anyway. Um, so model memory, in, in Tom's opinion, low on the priority list. Okay. Bang for buck if you're if you're just dipping your toes into the hobby, but if you're planning on staying in, start with quality. There you go. Try to make it simple. There you are. Okay, binding. He asked about binding too. Oh yeah. Uh, so what what that uh, is talking about is basically um, introducing the receiver to the transmitter or the transmitter to the receiver and getting those two to create a. A nice a little handshake. handshake. Yeah. Oh, look at you go. A handshake yeah. between the two, uh, such that the transmitter will only transmit on this particular model uh, to that receiver. Like mm-hmm. no other receiver will understand what that transmitter is saying except for the one that you have just bound to it. Yeah. That's what that means. It'll just ignore everything else yep. and just lock onto that one. Which is really, you know, 10 years ago, whatever. Well, maybe it's more now. 
whenever uh, spread spectrum came on the came on the scene, that handshake is revolutionized. Would you say revolutionized? The I got in with that, so I don't oh, know. That's true. Um, so as an old timer, revolutionized the the hobby. Yeah, like no longer did we have to worry about frequency pins or somebody turning on a transmitter in the pits that happened to be on the same channel you so, were on. So that was the old seventy two megahertz. Seventy two. Well, yeah, seventy two, and then twenty seven band. We used to believe it or not, way back when you could fly with twenty seven band. Oh, uh, and then I think I, in, oh, I think I knew that. Actually. I think in you Europe, I think it was seventy five band. But anyway. Um, yeah, when this technology came came on the scene, you didn't have to worry about anything. You just turned your radio on. You didn't have to worry about who was flying. You didn't have to, because it had that handshake with that one receiver on that model memory. You know? Yeah. And uh, so that's what binding is. It's getting those two to learn each other's language and only speak to each other. And then there's a couple different ways to bind. Yep. So... And I don't know how I feel, honestly, about the new ones. So the old ones you bind with a bind plug. Mm -hmm. The newer ones have a button. On the, on the on receiver. The, on the receiver mm -hmm. um, that you can push that button to get into the bind mode. Yes. I don't know if I like that. It um, seems like there could be some accidental unbinding going on. Yeah, but I mean, if, if everything is installed correctly in the airplane... There shouldn't be anything accidentally touching the button. I know I'm I've got fat fingers and trying to plug stuff in. It could happen. Yeah. But hopefully the radio's not on when you're trying to plug stuff in. So Well and, and granted, the only time that like bind button works, I think, is when you're turning it on. Oh, okay. Like I don't think it works yeah, right. when it's that's off, the, it doesn't yeah, do anything, obviously. I think that's how my eighty eighty ten, I think it is. Yeah, that's how it works. But still I'm just I'm paranoid. I like them because they're super convenient. You don't, you don't have, have to, have have to a worry about plug. a bind plug. Yeah. You don't have to have an extra port. For a bind plug, you don't yeah. have to figure out which port to use if it's not labeled on the receiver. Well, it's usually a battery. Not always, though. Sometimes uh, there's sometimes an actual... channel one, I guess. Sometimes but. there's an actual bind port. And then if it is the battery port, the battery slash bind port, then you have to plug a battery into one or the other. It's just... I like you, the convenience. You sound like you're like whining about it. It's not that well, bad. Well, kind of am. I mean... <laughs> the the push button is just really, in my opinion, is just super convenient. You don't have to worry about a. You don't have to go find a plug. To, yeah. to, you know what I'm saying. So okay, maybe I like I, them. maybe I'm maybe you can talk me into it. That's I like fine. Them. I, I haven't had anything, any of my push button binding things. Yeah, I haven't yeah. had any of those come. Un, of course, I haven't had anything come unbound in a while. So yeah, me neither. Um, That's kind of. Anyway. Yeah, it's possible, but it doesn't happen very often. Yeah. So the process of binding is basically you put this bind plug in, or you. Push your button. Push the button. Uh, turn it on, and that puts the receiver in a binding mode, and lights flash and other stuff. Well, nothing That's, else happens. Yeah, it's just lights flash. And then you turn your transmitter on and put it in bind mode. And Which then, usually to do that, I, I mean, I guess I don't know how the other ones are, like anything other than Spectrum, but on ours, you press the bind button, turn the transmitter on. Yeah. On on some of the yeah on like the newer like my iX twelve oh yeah I forgot you can about that. do it with the transmitter already on you just go to that menu well, actually there's a bind button right on the model screen so you just hit that button and off you go and go that way yeah. okay and then the two learn each other's uh, secret language and and then when and it's complete all bliss. the lights come on solid and then turn everything off don't forget to pull the bind plug back out if you <laughs> another reason not I've done, to use the bind I've plug. done that before oh many times yeah. Um, and then, yeah, and then off to the races. Mm -hmm. Now, how often do you bind? So how often or how many times? 
both. Okay. Like, so yeah. How often? I'm, okay. So or how let's, many times? Let's say it's a new airplane. Um, <laughs> well, which is it? <laughs> it's the same. Like, <laughs> I think you know. Same what, I think you know what I meant. <laughs> All right. So I know what you're getting at. Uh, when I'm setting up a new airplane, I bind it twice. So I bind it the first time to get everything talking to each other, and then I'll do the setup. You know, I'll set up all my rates and centers and servos and, you know, get everything set up and working the way I want it to, the throttle direction, you know, because that's kind of important. And then when I'm all done with the setup, I'm happy with how everything is set up. I'll shut everything off, and then I'll bind it again after I've done all my setup. And what I'm doing there, at least on the Spectrum radios, is I'm setting the fail-safe position. So whatever sticks whatever position the sticks are in when you bind a spectrum radio, or at least the ones we have, yeah, the ones we're familiar with, that is the position that the uh, receiver will move all the control surfaces if it loses signal with mm -hmm. the transmitter for whatever reason. Or if it browns out and boots back up or, you know, something exactly. like that. So bind it twice. I bind it once for my initial setup, and then when I'm happy with my setup, I'll shut everything off, and then I bind it again at whatever failsafe. And for me, failsafe is sticks neutral, throttle low. That's yeah. that's what I use. And the important reason that you need to do that is, let's say it's a nitro. Well, it doesn't even have to be a nitro plane. Let's say it's no, any kind of air, or airplane. Yeah. When you first bind it, if your throttle especially is backwards mm -hmm. and you have to reverse the throttle, cool. That's, that's how you set it up. Yeah, no but problem. if you forget to rebind it, mm -hmm. if you lose signal... What happens? Wide open. Wide open throttle, and that thing is not coming back. Yeah. And not to mention, it's it, it could be hard on your servo. If, you know, if that wide open throttle, you know, during the bind process or, or pre-bind process, if it's putting that linkage in a bind, it will always <laughs> do that whenever yeah. you turn it on. And yeah. that's just annoying. Yeah. So bind it, I bind it twice. And then for, like, how often, um, I, to be honest, I don't, I don't bind it unless... It needs it. You know what I mean? Like, I've, I don't, ne I've I don't, never had to rebind one right. for losing bind. I've heard of other people having that problem, like, hey, this isn't working right. I'm going to rebind it. Hey, look, it's working now. Yeah. I've not had that problem. I've, I've rebound a few airplanes when I couldn't figure out what the heck was going on with whatever. Um, but generally speaking, once it's bound, it shouldn't need to be rebound unless, like you said, unless something weird is happening. Rebound or rebinded? Hmm. I would say bound. Okay. Rebound. Rebound? Rebound. I don't know. Rebind it. You Just shouldn't have to funny. bind it again. There you go. Yeah. All right. Perfect. Let's move on. Well, 2.4 no. or 72? Oh, um, about 2.4. Yeah. So, I mean, I can talk about a little bit about 72 megahertz. I'm not even sure you can buy a radio on 72 megahertz anymore. And if you can, why would you want to? Well, here's not... Like, so there's absolutely nothing wrong with 72 megahertz other than the odd stray signal that can take your airplane out of the air, which was actually caused Wait, by that's, cell towers. That's actually kind of a big deal. I it's mean, like, you just deal. kind of blew was, over that, like, I know. Ah, it's not the big deal. That works great. I was Except being facetious. For... I'm just pointing out that there's really no reason to buy 72 megahertz, even if you could, when the 2.4 stuff is so good at only talking to its bound recipient. Oh, it's binded. Yeah, okay. <laughs> no, and I agree. Like, and the, and the problem is too, like 72 megahertz, really, it's an older, like even if you found a 72 megahertz transmitter, it's not going to be 
what's called like a computer transmitter. I mean, you might be able to get some of the basic versions, but yeah, it's not going to have some all pretty of the capable. Like I, I have a couple of cap- pretty capable JR. I think eighty one hundred three is one of them. Um, that had, was pretty capable. It was had a lot of programming and stuff like that, and it was on seventy two megahertz. But it was still on one airplane. Well, no, it had model memory and all that kind of stuff. Really? Yeah. So oh, you yeah. just uh, the the eighty one hundred three. I think it. I think it could keep at least ten. So how did that work then? What I mean, would would you have like the same same channel in each receiver? Like, I guess I don't understand. They were synthesized. Remember? No, I don't. Like at the end of seventy-two megahertz, they were synthesized. So you had a module in the transmitter, and your receiver had dials on it. You could dial whatever frequency you wanted, and. That's how they operated. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, they had synthesized, I'm using air quotes, synthesized um, <laughs> crystals. They could actually modulate the signal. However, they do that synthetically instead of using an actual, no kidding, crystal inside of a case. Yeah, I so, remember like Traxxas and stuff. When I started with that, you had you the AM d- radio or, well, I don't remember. I think they were AM. Um, where, yeah, it was green, red, whatever. And That's that was just band, the, yeah. yeah, just the different colors was mm-hmm. 27.195 or 175. Whatever I don't remember how were, close yeah. they were, but yeah. Um, but anyway, yeah, at the end of 72 megahertz, it was all synthesized. So your transmitter, like I said, if you, you know, if you were using that one transmitter for many different models, you would just either remember, uh, what channel that receiver was on, or in the case of, my 8103s, I always had the channel number assigned to the model name. So it'd be like stick, and then after the name stick, it'd be like 68 or whatever. That oh, way okay. I knew what channel to dial my module to when I turned the you know, transmitter on and started What module? The module on? On the back of the transmitter. Oh, okay. So then, you know, you hold the transmitter, and then the frequency yeah, I guess that makes, that makes sense. Huh? dials on it that you could dial, you know, whatever frequency you wanted. Interesting. So... Yeah. God, that sounds so like I know, right? antiquated. I know. But man, at the time, not having to have a case full of crystals, some of our listeners probably remember that, you know, having a either a case full of crystals or, you know, you just bought the same number for every Everything. airplane you had. <laughs> and then when you showed up to the field, everybody knew you were on 68, so they would buy 70 or 72 or whatever. Yeah. You know what I mean? The good old days. So that's 72 megahertz, and there's really no reason to buy it with 2.4. That's really what I'm trying to get at. All right. <laughs> so next. Hi, Ron and Tom. Oh, by the way, this is from uh, Chris Sylvia. So thanks, Chris, for uh, checking in with us and asking us to answer this question for you. <laughs> <laughs> that wasn't awkward at all. No, you're doing great. But seriously, Chris, thanks for uh, <laughs> thanks for writing in. He says, uh, I'm a recently minted listener and have been flying electrics for 10 years or so. Nice. Yep. Ron likes to hear that. I do very much. Uh, I enjoy the podcast and have a question that might be part of a show topic. Okay. He says, uh, the deep cycle lead acid battery that I use for field charging needs to be replaced. Uh, He says, and I think it would be useful and interesting for you and Ron to go over the choices for field charging and their relative strengths and weaknesses. Uh, I have a two kilowatt portable generator and portable in quotes. Uh, I understand what he means about that. Those things are can be hit while here, yeah. But legging it to the field on a regular basis is a non-starter. Yes, I can feel your pain. Uh, the deep cycle battery is getting too heavy. I need to hit the weight room, probably. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm leaning towards a LifePo 4 12-volt battery from Amazon, although you can apparently make your own for less if you have the electrical chops to do so. 
Uh, what's the recommended amp hour capacity? Are the cheap Amazon batteries as good as the really expensive uh, one from other vendors? Uh, so many possibilities. It would be, I'm sorry, it would also be good to hear about using portable solar panels uh, for charging also. Uh, be good to get your take. He says, best, Chris Sylvia. So yeah. That's um, an interesting topic. It is. Uh, so I'll start by assuming that he's talking about field charging his like flight batteries and things like that and not using like a field box to ignite his glow plugs and stuff like that. Yeah, if he's flying electrics, I think that's that's I, a safe assumption I think that's too, a safe assumption. Um, and, and I'll start and then I'll let you, because you're way more knowledgeable oh, on don't, electric don't stuff say that, but than we'll I see. am. I mean, that's a fair statement. Uh, and I will freely admit that. Uh, but low, I will, low bar. <laughs> but, but I will say that, uh, so for field charging, and this is probably a no-no, got it, but I don't fly a lot of electrics, right? Mm -hmm. So I'm not willing to invest in the big, you know, the big uh, batteries and st stuff like that. So what do I do when I'm at the field? I pop the hood on my car and I plug my ACDC 12-volt uh, charger uh, that, you know, runs off of a 12-volt battery right onto the car battery, and I charge a couple of batteries, and usually that's enough for me. Why do you think that's a no-no? Well, number one, no no safe distance. Like, so the charger <laughs> is sitting usually somewhere in the engine compartment of the car. Okay, and then the car's not running. And then, no, but my leads to my to the batteries that I'm charging are usually not long enough to get the batteries safely away should something happen. You know, and well, you could always charge them in a in a lipo case, in a case, right? Or Got a bag, it. or a bag. Yeah, true. Um, but uh, if I'm charging, if I happen to be charging some really high capacity batteries or some or a lot of batteries, there's a good chance, and I've seen it happen. It's never yeah. happened to me. <laughs> no, I've, but I've seen I know it where happen. you're going. Um, there's a uh -huh. good chance that uh, you could run the battery down of your vehicle, and then if you're there by yourself, well, now you're kind of stuck. If there's nobody there to jump you. So jump your battery, I mean. There, There's a way around that. Um, your car has a nice generator built into it that's called your alternator. That's true, yes. And if you're really worried about that, honestly, it charges it up pretty quick to where... It does. Charge a battery, start it up for five minutes, and, right. and you should be good. Um, if you really want, you can, you know, take a, a, a battery terminal, or not terminals, what's it called, the, the battery... Uh, Oh, help me out jumper here. Jumper cables? No, not jumper cables. The tester. You oh, know, I have one yeah, of the battery yeah. testers mm -hmm. you can put on, gotcha. and it will tell you what your battery is at, yeah. like it, your car battery. Right. Um, and, you know, after you charge a battery, you can see if you need to, to start your car a little bit to do it that way. Right. Um, if that's not what you want to do, like if you want it completely separate, that's Which cool if, too. If you're flying, yeah, if you're flying mostly electric, and chances are you've got probably some bigger electric airplanes maybe, Yeah, uh, and you want to fly a lot, then yeah, you know, you don't want to buy a lot of batteries. You just want to charge them at the field. Charging off your vehicle is probably not the ideal situation. But in my case, it, it does just fine. Yeah, and I mean, so for us, like even when we go out to the field with a full case of batteries, if you have to charge a few, like we don't fly that much in a day, especially by the time you... You sit there and you talk to other people and then you watch them fly and you talk about their airplanes yeah, and you catch up and, well, maybe a little bit. Depending on but that's But that's okay. Right. Um, but, but what if you don't want to use your vehicle? So, I mean, if you want to get one of the, the LifePo batteries or the LIFE, whatever you want to call them, um, they actually are a good replacement for deep cells. Mm -hmm. Like, they're lighter. Um, yeah. 
there, there's a lot less weight that goes into them. Mm-hmm. They're cleaner. Yeah. Like manufacturing right. them is better. They last longer than a lead acid acid battery. It had like the life cycles on them is much higher. Um, I've also heard they're better for the environment if that's something that's important to you. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, you know that mm-hmm. could be important. But the biggest problem I have with them is their price. Yeah. I mean, they are very kind of pricey, very very expensive. Yeah, um, especially for the bigger ones. Yeah, and well, I'll get into that in a minute. So. If if that's how you want to charge, like I would buy the highest rated capacity battery that you can justify or mm-hmm. afford, you know, for, for what that is. Yeah. Um, I don't know a lot about electrical. You keep saying I'm better with electricity than you are, which, well, technically might be true. It's not by a, a, a huge margin. <laughs> um, you understand it better than I do. Well, I know it's about energy density. So, okay. you know, if you're talking about gasoline, there's a lot. It, it's very energy dense. Mm-hmm. So there is a lot... Well, okay, so that's why you can get like a lot of uh, um, a gallon of gas through a two or a two kilowatt portable generator would charge a lot of batteries okay. compared to like a, a single battery or a deep cycle battery or something like that, just because there's a lot more power to be had out of it. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. The solar panels thing, like, I think that's kind of cool, and it would be interesting to try, but you'd really have to figure out how many panels you need. Um, and if it's cloudy or late in the day, yeah, you don't get hose. the output that you would get like at, at high noon. Yeah, um, high noon. Wasn't that what it is? Are we in the I old mean, west now? Maybe <laughs> <laughs> me out on the street at high noon. What do you call it then? Twelve o'clock noon. Noon. Fine. <laughs> Why well, high noon? Because then the sun is Listen, right if above. If you can make fun of me for saying a top. I can make fun of you for saying high noon. But high noon, I think, is actually maybe different than noon. High noon is when the sun is right above you. No? Am I just making that up? I could just be making Isn't that, that up. Isn't that why it's called noon? 12 o'clock is 12 o'clock. Like, 12 o'clock, the sun is always directly, you know, at its highest point. Is no it? matter where you... Well, I mean, within, what is it, 15 degrees or whatever it is. Is it really? Yeah. Is, it, yeah. is 12 o'clock always the center of the day? I think so, yeah. That's why we move the time, you know, the... The time shifts in there. I don't think that's right. Oh, well, maybe not. I could be completely wrong, too. I might. I probably am wrong. We might need to look that up. <laughs> um, uh, where what was I? What the was the I? amount oh, the, of output you're going to get depends on, on how much depends sunlight Depends on how much get. sunlight you're getting. And, of there course, you know. that changes based on time yeah. of year, too. Right. Um, but I think, like, Harbor Freight had the, the little 12-volt, uh, I, I think they're like 45-watt solar panels, but it's big. Yeah, it's, it's expensive. And those are really just designed to sort of keep your battery charged. Right. right? Really kind of a, a low. Yeah. So it's not going to be something that, I mean, you're not going to have this tiny little solar panel setup that you're going to be able to take with you. It's going to be a decent size if you're going to try and charge yeah. something with yeah. it. And they're fragile, right? Solar panels are kind of fragile? No, not necessarily. No. I mean, okay. they, they can be. I mean, like you can you can do a lot with them without breaking them. I, I, I can imagine that a solar panel charging setup to get the kind of power out of it i think you would need to charge multiple batteries it's gonna have to be sizable yeah like inexpensive and like fill up the back of the suv such that there's no room for airplanes yeah big i think well they fold but no i mean i see where you're going i I don't think i'd worry too much it would be interesting to see something like that work though yeah 
I mean, I think that would be uh, if somebody did the math to figure out yeah, exactly really, how many panels you need and what your output's going to be, and you know all that kind of stuff. That so would be to our cool. listeners, there's our there's our challenge we issue to you: <laughs> do the math and figure out because we don't it would want take. to. Yeah, because we're lazy. Uh, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> just to not put too fine a point on it. Well, I'm lazy. Uh, but if okay, so if you just want to use a battery. Uh, I would switch to the new chemistry and get rid of the old lead acid. Yeah, I would agree. And and buy as big, like I said, as you can justify and carry. Mm-hmm. Um, I haven't bought one yet, so I yeah. don't know a good place to buy them. But if you do a Google or Google search and check out reviews and stuff, that you can mm-hmm. usually find decent places. Um, like the cheap lipo batteries that I bought through Amazon. I think they've worked as well, if not better, than some of the expensive yeah. ones. Yeah. So, I, yeah, me too. I mean, <clears throat> if that helps, I have no problem buying batteries on Amazon. Yeah, I, I also like I've bought receiver batteries, you know, nickel metal hydrides, and I've they seem to perform just as good as you know the the more expensive Nam Nam <laughs> name brand Nam brand Nam brand name <laughs> branded uh, batteries. Name uh, branded or name brand? Name brand name. Well, they're branded with a name, right? Okay. Name branded? I don't know. Um, Either way, I have no issues buying batteries from Amazon. Yeah, me neither. And when they a, seem to perform just just as well. I agree. Uh, one of the nice things about the the LifePo batteries, though, that I saw is they list the amp hour capacity. Oh, that's handy. So Some if you know that, you yeah. can kind of figure it out. So it'll tell you how many batteries you'll be able to charge off of it roughly. Yeah, there's it's a ballpark. Yeah, there's always going to be losses. You know, the... the Charger takes or takes energy, whatever the yeah. heat gets produced. You know, right. it's not going to be one to one. But if you buy like a, a hundred amp hour deep cycle battery, mm-hmm. um, theoretically, you could charge 20, 20. 5,000 milliamp hour battery or batteries, since all you know all five thousand milliamp hours is is five amps, five amps, five amp hours. Yep. Um, so you can kind of do that, do it that way. If you fly using smaller batteries, you'll be able to charge more, and you know you can just Kind of yeah. do the math on your own to figure out how much it is. Just convert your milliamp hour battery, uh, what that's listed to, to amp hours by dividing it by a thousand, mm-hmm. and then just continue on and divide that by the amp hours that your battery is to find out how many you can get. So much math. Yeah, I said that wrong. Divide the amp hour your main battery is by what you figured out your small battery amp hour <laughs> is, and that will tell you how many it can charge. Yes. Exactly. I'm getting, I'm getting sniffles. really, yeah. yeah you got this affecting again. me. I'm sorry. This is right. not a good day I'll for me. I'll tell you what, I'll take the next one too. Okay. I appreciate it. All right. So this is from Alan. Uh, he says, I have listened to many of your podcasts and learned some good stuff. Thanks. You're not, welcome. <laughs> you're welcome. Yeah. We, <laughs> we like to hear that. We, that's our goal. Uh, not sure if you had an episode that uh, touched on soldering and related tools. We no, have not. No, we have not actually. Uh, he says, I've gotten into the RC hobby this past year, and I'm getting the basic supplies uh, one should have. Uh, I recently had a need to solder a servo wire, and I'm unable to do so. He says uh, he went to Lowe's and got an iron and some solder wire. Uh, He went to his local flying field today, which this is not today, but that's what he says today, (laughs) uh, to show one of the guys who knows a lot and uh, was told that the iron I bought was too big. Uh, I never opened it, so I can return it and uh, try again to get something better for the specific, you know, uh, hobby. He says, "You guys have been good about explaining details and highlighting key tools to have. Would you be able to suggest a website 
I should look at, and if there were a particular model or features to look for, you know, size of solder wire, etc. He says, thanks, Alan. So, Alan, thanks for listening to the podcast. I'm glad that we've been able to uh, uh, get some good stuff to you. Um, but as far as soldering irons go, uh, so I use a hobby-specific soldering iron. Soldering iron. It's I actually don't. it's actually a soldering station. Yes, I have one of those also. Um, which actually, um, even though I say mine is a hobby industry one, it's actually I think a rebranded something similar to what you use. Ron. Okay, Keller. Uh, yeah, or, yeah. Is it Keller? Heller, I thought. Hellers. Um, I. But either way, um, what you're looking for is an iron that gets really, really hot, uh, obviously. Um, and if you're using one of those soldering type guns, if that's what, uh, what you had there, you know, that you pull a trigger and it's on and then you let go of the trigger and it's off. Yeah. Those, while you can make them work, it takes, it takes, uh, practice and a lot. Yeah. It's kind of a pain. And it's, yeah, definitely a pain because you have to hold it on instead of just holding an iron, you have to hold this thing with the button on to generate heat. And then that kind of takes up a hand, you know, you can't really. Yeah. But that they, they do heat up very fast. I mean, it's usually just a few seconds and it's ready. But, um, so what I would say is I don't know what he bought. Right. He doesn't actually say, um, it's important to use electrical solder. Yeah. There's, there are some big differences between electrical solder and plumbing solder. Oh yeah. Um, plumbing solder usually has like an acid core, which helps, well, it helps it kind of like, you know, okay, I don't want to get into it too much, but it helps it actually adhere to the copper pipe. Mm-hmm. It kind of etches it first mm-hmm. so that the copper can hold. Yep. Um, it does not work well on electrical stuff, especially the small delicate stuff that we do, right. because that acid can actually eat away yeah, at the connections it. and yeah. corrode it away. Yep. Um, it's also like plumbing solder is also thicker, which is a pain because it takes more heat, more heat in order to melt it. Right. Um, so I have personally, I use a couple different solders. Mm-hmm. One of them is uh, an O five O diameter. He was asking about diameter, um, which is pretty thin, pretty thin, especially yep. compared to plumbing stuff. Yep. Um, thousands. And the other one is O thirty two diameter, mm-hmm. which is even thinner. Thinner still. Um, and I actually prefer the thinner stuff. Because it seems to flow better, okay. and it seems to melt quicker, hmm. okay. which kind of makes sense because there's less physical solder at that tip to actually make it or to actually need the heat to melt. Does that make sense? It does. Um, and it's rosin core as opposed to acid core, which means that it has the flux built into it, mm-hmm. so you don't have to pre-flux. Or, ooh, pre-flux. Uh, okay, you don't, <laughs> you don't have to pre flux your joints um which oh whew, anyway um like you, said, like you said i also uh oh i i'm off track um uh, like you said i also have a soldering station you use one i use one mm-hmm. that's uh, a dial you can dial you up. can adjust the heat so have you ever soldered at anything less than full <laughs> I mean, honestly. Honestly, no. I don't either. Like, I mean, if, mine... if it's delicate and you don't want to melt stuff around it, yeah, don't turn it to 800 degrees like I do, but it's always all the way up yeah, mine's and it's always, full blast. And, yeah. And it works. Yeah. I mean... Have you ever changed... Like, So mine came with several different size tips for the actual iron part of it. Mm-hmm. Have you ever actually tried any of the other tips? I have not. Yeah. I, I mean, I, like, me I understand. Either. For what I do, I don't have to. I understand the usefulness well, he, of them for he, other things. Yeah, so Alan is, is talking specifically about hobby. 
Mm-hmm. So I'm let's let's assume uh, he's talking about RC hobby. So probably will be the same type of soldering that we're familiar with. Right. So which there's is... really no reason to change the the tip or the 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 heat range. Now, if you're going to use it for other purposes, you know that you know all bets are off. But well, I, so I, here's here's kind of how I look at it. Like if I'm soldering a Dean's connector. Because okay. Deans, I think, are the most difficult ones to solder. Hmm. You, you're looking at me like you disagree. I, yeah, I mean, the, to me, those. Um, I think Hobby King sells them the XT, whatever they XT sixties. Are they the or, ones that have the basically the yellow the ones. hole that you have to actually get the wire in and uh-huh. then solder it? Yeah, I find those more difficult than really? the Deans connectors. Yeah. So here's why I find the Deans connectors difficult. You have to quickly get that heated up and get the solder to flow into it. Yes. So that you don't onto it. Onto it, sorry. Yeah. So that you don't melt the actual the housing. Housing yes. that that the, the that that blade, that splay, whatever you want to call it, the the pin, piece of yeah, well, it's not a pin because it's flat. Spade terminal. Spade whatever. terminal thing yeah. goes through. And if you leave the heat on for just a little bit too long, it makes them very hard to plug well, into batteries. There's there's tricks to the trade. So the Maybe way I don't know the trick so, on that one then. Okay, a little how-to here, real quick, uh-huh. on soldering a Dean's connector. Whatever connector you're soldering, plug its its mate into it. That helps hold the pins in alignment, right? Oh, to keep them from melting. Oh, see, look and at then, and then pre-tin pre-tin the oh, blades. Oh, I do that. Yeah. If they're pre, it takes nothing. Like it takes a tap of the iron with a little bit of flux. I like to use flux. I don't like flux cord. Really? Yeah, I don't like flux cord wire. Uh, and why I, is that? Just I have more control. Like I can I can determine how much flux goes on there instead of the wire telling me how much flux is going into the joint. So do you know what you use then? Like what kind of Yeah, I use solder? Harris Stay Bright Silver Solder. That's oh, you use silver use. solder, okay. That's all I use ever. And okay. it's and it's really actually kind of thick. It's probably a sixteenth inch, hundred and twenty five thousandths roughly, uh in diameter. Hundred and twenty five B eighth. Okay, so it's sixty-two thousandths, roughly. Okay, um, yeah. So that's what I like to use. Anyway, it it takes less than two seconds. Touch the iron, especially if it's hot. Yeah. Touch the iron to the to the blade. Uh, you've I've already got a little droplet of flux on it or paste. Flux paste works nice because it doesn't roll off of it. Um, and then you touch the iron to it and have that solder handy, and you just it's it's quick, and it it. It almost introduces no heat to the joint. And then well, if now, the end of your wire is pre-tinned also, then you get that, you know, you hold the iron onto the onto the wire before you put it on. And I, I like to use the little um, soldering helper Helping things. hands. Yeah. I forget what they're called. I think that's what they're actually um, called. You can get them on Amazon. They're really, really cheap. Hey, you know I got what? mine. Harper Freight. Tool of the week. Um, ah, tool of the week. It's time for RC Plane Labs Tool of the Week. Helping Helping hands. Hands. Anyway, so I set my joint up that way, you know, set it so that they're together. And then you touch the wire or touch the wire, yeah, with the iron. Yeah. And that, that solder flows together. And it, it, like, I've never had a problem with misaligned pins on a Dean's connector. Here's the only thing that scares me about the way you're talking about doing that. Have you ever had a cold joint where it, it melts? I'm sure I probably have, you know, especially back in the, in the RC car days when mm-hmm. we had to solder everything yeah um but on an airplane i've knock on wood 
I've never produced a cold solder joint. Okay. On a battery connector that I've put on, or an electronic speed controller, or a servo, or anything. Um, that well, that technique works on everything. I see, I, and that's kind of how. I, obviously, I pretend both of them too, mm-hmm. because I think it's you're wasting too you much to. heat if you don't. Yes. Um, but I guess I get mine just a little bit hotter than you do when I'm doing the the tinning process. Yeah. So and uh, like honestly, on on wire end, it doesn't matter as much. No, no. But on the connector, especially if the or on a board, like if you're soldering something back to a board, which I've done, mm-hmm. um, that that technique works every time. I'll try and, that. Next and just time. to quickly tinning, what we're talking about is adding metal solder in this case to the surface that you're going to be soldering together first before you actually solder the pieces together yeah yeah and the and the process is adding a little bit of heat and i like to use a little bit of flux and that gets the solder to flow you know heat and solder and it's on the joint and it's on the wire just an easy way of connecting stuff together yeah so So that's that's kind of a basics on soldering that's that's how we solder that's the tools we use we use soldering stations which if you do a soldering station search on Google, you will have many, many, many results, I'm sure. Yeah. Um, What's a good one? I mean, like... I- so the one I use is actually, uh, it's made by a company called Hakko, H-A-K-K-O. But it's it's more or less a... Well, it's either a copy or the Duratrax, which I don't think is even Duratrax anymore now that I think about it, um, was a copy of it maybe. But it's the same thing that you can get. Unger, U-N-G-A-R, makes one. It looks just exactly like mine, even though mine's old. Um, but if you do a soldering station search, it's just 110 volt. You plug it into the wall, and mine has a dial on it. Yours has a dial on it. And so it has a, the base and then you know a power cord coming off a base and then mm-hmm. a cord going to the iron. And then the iron has a little stand that has a little spring thing you plug the iron into when, it, when it's resting. Yeah, and that keeps it away from touching stuff. Keeps, yeah, exactly. Yeah, it keeps has everything. It has a ceramic little ring that it your iron plugs into to keep it out of the way of stuff, or at least mine does. Mine just has a housing. It fits nicely in. Yeah. But yeah. I mean, yeah, that, that's really all a soldering station is, yep. is just a place to store it. Yeah. And just make sure you're using electrical solder, not yeah. plumbing solder. And you should, you know, develop a technique and... Try it a few times first. Yeah, you'll, you'll Cause get it's, there. Because it's not, it's not an easy skill. Yeah. But once you get it, yeah. it clicks. Yep. And it's not that and difficult. And if you're, if you're going to be in the hobby for any length of time, you're going to eventually have a need to solder something. Either yeah. You buy a battery that doesn't have the correct connector on it or whatever. Which uh, that's always or always seems, seems to be the like, case. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, so anyway, yeah, there you go. Soldering. But XT, like you you think XT60s oh, are yeah. more difficult. So, like the XT60s, they have, you know, they're, they're a hollow pin. Yeah. If, if they're the ones I'm thinking of. It is. They're a hollow pin that you have to get the wire down in. It's hard for me for some, for whatever reason, you... I just figured it out. <laughs> I'm not. I could see it moving. Yeah. So getting the solder in the hole is not too big a deal, but it's it's once you get the wire ready, getting everything hot and liquid enough to, to then sort of press the, I'm not tinning the outside of the pin to help transfer the heat. That's what I'm doing wrong. Just, I don't tin the outside of the pin either. So you don't, when you tin it, you don't let some run kind of outside and nope. over the... It's all the way on the inside only. Really? I'm, yeah. Okay. And the, so what I do is I will fill that up almost full. With solder. You, with solder, mm-hmm. yeah. To what, you melt it in there. 
Um, and then with the, the little helping hand thing that you're talking about, it yeah. has the, the alligator clips. Right. And I always put that through the front. So it's actually going into the, the outer part, like where you would actually plug like something else into the... Whatever, yeah. Yeah, depending on what it is. Um, so that way it holds onto it that way, and I can kind of get it tilted up higher mm -hmm. at an angle. Mm -hmm. Once I get that filled in and I get the wire tinned, mm -hmm. when I set that on top, I just melt the top of the wire. Mm-hmm. The tin part on top contact. of the wire, and then that's enough contact where to it will the heat. it will mm -hmm. transfer the heat all the way down into that, and it will right. liquefy. And then I hold it as I pull the the soldering iron yeah, away must, a little bit. And it will, I must be doing it because I'm always trying to heat the pin because I figure that's where all yeah. the solder is. No, because I do the same thing. I don't fill it, but I mean I get a good amount of solder in there, and then okay, well I'll try it your way. Next and then time sometimes too, like if I put too much in there and it comes out when it solidifies, I just file that off because solder is easy to file off if you have too much on the outside of it. Yeah. There's no reason not to clean it up a little bit just to make sure there's no shorts. Yeah. And then you run your uh, shrink tubing over it to make it all safe and good and right on. melt it and you're good. Okay. Or melt the, the heat shrink tubing. Mm -hmm. Shrink it. Shrink the shrink. Shrink, shrink the shrink tubing. tubing. Um, shrink the tubing. I think for now I want to end this one and let's take okay. a, a, a little break and see if I can't feel a little bit better and let's come back and, and do it again tomorrow. So part two – we will uh, we will good. get on to. Yep. Um, and hopefully I'm feeling a little bit better yeah, by tomorrow. Better. We'll, we'll yeah. figure it out. So. Yeah, figure out what's uh, making your nose all runny. <laughs> all right. Well, gross. everybody, thanks for listening. Um, we'll be back with the next episode, which I guess will be out in two weeks mm -hmm. uh, from now. But we will get that recorded tomorrow and get it all up for you and move on from there. Right on. So thank you for listening. Until next time, I'm Ron. I'm Tom. Hope I feel better later. Me too. <laughs> good night. Good night. Hope you enjoyed this episode of the RC Plane Lab podcast. For topic suggestions, to ask questions, or to give any feedback, connect with us at rcplanelab.com or email us direct at either ron at rcplanelab.com or tom at rcplanelab.com. You can also text us or leave us a voicemail at 818-351-9846. Please subscribe, rate, and review us on your favorite podcast app. Until next time, may your landings be gentle.